Welcome to episode 10 of Behind the Mission, a show that sparks conversation with PsychArmor trusted partners and educational experts. My name is Dwayne France, and each week I'll be having conversations with podcast guests that will equip you with tools and resources to effectively engage with and support military service members, veterans, and their families. You can find the show on all the podcast players or by going to psychormer.org forward slash podcast. Thanks again for joining us on Behind the Mission. Our work and mission are supported by the generous partnerships and sponsors who also believe that education changes lives. This episode is brought to you by PsychArmor, the premier education and learning ecosystem specializing in military cultural content. PsychArmor offers an online e-learning laboratory that's free to individual learners as well as custom training options for organizations. You can find more about PsychArmor at psycharmor.org. This week, I'm having a conversation with licensed clinical social worker and California Army National Guard Chaplain Nathan Gracer. Nathan is the Director of Veteran Initiatives for the Southern California Grantmakers. Previously, he directed the Los Angeles Veterans Collaborative and Innovation Fund, a collective impact group that consists of more than 2,000 different service providers throughout Los Angeles County with over 250 regularly attending monthly meetings. Nathan has served in the U.S. Army National Guard for nearly 17 years, including as a chaplain for a combined arms battalion for the last five years. Nathan has educated hundreds of service providers on military culture and supporting transition out of the military, developing better community policies as people return home from war. He serves on numerous local and national boards and was recently recognized by the USC Center for Religion and Civic Culture and the Interreligious Council of Southern California as one of 50 leaders working in the intersection of faith and social change. Let's get into my conversation with Nathan and come back afterwards to pull out some of the key points. you're a licensed clinical social worker, a clinical mental health professional, and you're a chaplain in the California National Guard. And those are two complementary but often separate sets of focus. I'm interested to hear how you got into each and maybe which came first and how you integrate the two. Yeah, great question. So I actually started out as a chaplain and I got into chaplaincy because I, I was at an infantry brigade. I, I joined with four good friends and in 2004, they passed around a sheet and said, hey, anybody who goes to college, we need you to be officers. And I was like, oh, you joined the dark side. I was a sergeant at the time. We signed, two of us signed our name. Another one of us didn't. He's like, dude, why would I be an officer? Anyway, so fast forward two weeks later, our unit got orders to go to Afghanistan. And anyone who had signed up that list to go to OCS wasn't going. And a year later, after going through the traditional route of OCS through the National Guard, I got a phone call that my friend who hadn't gone, my best friend who had joined uh, the Army, died in Afghanistan, a landmine. And so I spent like the next two or three months just meeting with all of my old unit and meeting with them and talking with them. And back then there was no support for the guard. There's some now, but that then it was like, hey, thank you so much. Go get them. Bye. And I remember the ceremony was like, da-da-da. Three days later, we had four DUIs. <laughs> Whoa. They were like straight out. And the, people were getting in trouble. And, uh, we had a guy go to prison. It was like really serious. And I was like, who's helping these people? And I remember I was about to graduate from OCS. I was like, who's helping? My, the whole unit is falling apart. And they said, well, that's what chaplains do. And I was like, well, don't you have to like old and religious? And they're like, oh, no, you don't have to do that. You just have to go to seminary. And so I said, all right. So I moved to Los Angeles, went to Fuller Seminary for four years. And then six months later, commissioned as a chaplain. Here we go. Yeah, it's so exciting. My first day as a chaplain, they tell me, hey, we got this guy's suicidal. 
We locked him in the closet. Can you go talk to him? Right, they didn't know what to do with him. Classic. Uh, dude, just stay there. Give me everything sharp. Just stay in there. We'll get someone else. And so I had this like sort of crazy experience talking with his kids. Really scary. I wasn't sure what to do. Uh, and the next day, I was like, man, seminary did not prepare me for what I'm gonna have to deal with here. And I went. I just had just been to school for three and a half years, and I was like, I don't know if my wife is going to let me go to back to grad school again. They had, USC at the time had just stood up a military social work program, and so I said, "Man, I'm going to do it." And so I literally graduated seminary in May, commissioned, and then started in the fall at USC. And so then I that was when I became a social worker. Right, it was where I learned some of the skills that I really really use a lot as a chaplain, especially in the guard. Where, it's not that we're not religious professional. Obviously, there's a religious component to being a chaplain, but functionally, the way we're used, it's just we're mostly a crisis intervention and counseling agent and a lot of mentorship and coaching. It's not, it's an advising, especially here in California. Most of my soldiers don't have a religious background, or if they do, it's like, I'm Jewish, but I'm Christian, but my dad's Muslim. So I broadly say that my role as chaplain is my why, but Social work is my how, and they really uh, dovetailed well together. In many ways, a lot of my work is around social work. But when I'm in uniform, it's you know it's a sacred space to be a chaplain, and I feel that and I love that. It's it. I get in a lot of rooms and have a lot of conversations and influence and spaces that I get to have as a chaplain that I I wouldn't have if I was just a social worker. You know, that's in in as you said, those two skills are complementary or, or callings. Even they're both callings, and again, they're usually separate. I work very close with faith leaders in my community as a mental health professional, and leaders in the faith community when they recognize that this is something that may be out of their realm regarding spirituality or pastoral counseling, will connect them to clinicians. But for you, you identified that there was a gap in your religious training that was filled through clinical training. Yeah, the, I'll try not to talk about chaplaincy too much because that's I've been on this kick here for a few years. Chaplain, we're trained in seminary and we're pastor. Like we have a lot of like ministry experience and you like study Greek and Hebrew for a year. Stuff that's not super relevant to like sitting in the middle of a moonscape after a fire with somebody who wants to kill themselves. Not that it's not, it's just, do you speak Greek? Do you know Greek? Uh, that, it doesn't, that doesn't play well. Yeah, I, th I think for me, it was just about finding a new way to think, finding a new way to have some like really applicable skill sets. I didn't know any social workers and I always kind of felt like, man, everybody's going to think I'm going to take babies when I say I'm going to be a social worker. Literally, I asked everyone, I was like, I don't know any social workers. My dad knew a social worker. I talked to him, like, is it, can I be, I remember when I got there and I was like, wow, there's 15% of us that are men here. And this is like a very, you know, I just remember thinking, oh man, I'm living in two different worlds. Uh, and and again, taking that that clinical training back to the soldiers that you're serving, and it's really what it is, both with the chaplaincy and and as a clinician, it, it's serving soldiers. But then also, that's not just what you do. You've been heavily involved in community work. The we were talking even before this about legislative advocacy. You directed the Los Angeles Veterans Collaborative and the Innovation Fund, which is 
a collective impact group, more than 2,000 service providers. Los Angeles has over 250,000 veterans, just veterans. That's a whole lot. Yeah, it's actually 350,000. Over 350,000. And so it's a growing community of veterans. That's a whole lot of veterans and a whole lot of organizations supporting them. And how does that collaborative come about? I think it's probably important to say that one of the reasons I got into the sort of community organizing collaborative work was because you probably know this as a mental health professional. It doesn't take long before you hear the same thing over and over again. I would say, I tell most new clinicians, say, look, give it a year, maybe two. And you've heard 80 to 90% of the stories. It's, it's very similar pain points. And vets coming out and not knowing what they were going to get or feeling overconfident and then running into troubles that they weren't prepared for. There's just a, a lot of series. There's a series of pain points. You could almost say they're traps that you hear vets fall into and they're, they didn't know they were there. And then you're trying to pick up pieces after. When I first got to my unit, I think we were 40% unemployed. And I was like, man, we got to do something here. And so naturally, I was like, look, I'm, I have a whole community of people I'm working with at SC. Let's see if we can host it. And I happened to be that USC was trying to look into do like a hiring event. And so it started with, hey, let's run a veteran hiring event. And I'll just invite every, all my whole unit. And so that was like personally why I got into sort of this idea that, that there was going to have to be, of course, this sort of individual intervention. But a lot of these problems really required everyone. And I really believe that still, that there's a, a lot of the way that we still talk about problems is that there's a few people who are at fault or that a few people have to change their ways and then we'll all be fixed. And I just don't think that's the case. I think problems lie on all of us. Any problem, it's not yours or mine. It's our work. And so that that attitude took when I was at SC. We had just about a year before, actually, when I was in school, an organization called New Directions was leading this group of about 30 different service providers. And they would meet once a month and shake hands and talk about what they were doing and they realized that they just didn't know each other and they were all working with vets. And when the CEO stepped down, Tony Ryaness, she came to USC and said, hey, why don't you guys take this? And I just happened to be coming on board. And after SC had run it for a little bit, then I stepped in and I, I had background in like running church and making, I, I can run a meeting. Let's do this. And it's around a common purpose. Let's improve the lives of veterans and military families. Let's do this. We'll get guest speakers. We'll start organizing into working groups. We'll have an action arm. We started having conversations. And what I realized was that we had had years and years of just neglecting relationships in the service provider community. So you had people who wouldn't refer to others because they had bad relationships or because you hired me. And now it's like that, that organization is scandalous or whatever, right? You had these, because there are people running these places. And I don't care how big Los Angeles is. It's like, there's long memories. And I said, this is my skill set. I'll be a peacemaker. And so I'm not Everyone was like, man, it's so wonderful that you got all these people in the room. I said, it wasn't magic. It was literally just, hey, can we meet? Hey, Dwayne, can we meet? Hey, Nate, can we sit down together? Great. Hey, look, we're all in this together. We're trying to make it a better place for vets. How do we work together? I know there's some past stuff that we got to get over. But what can we do? We get to a place. All right. I tell you what, as long as I'm on the same working group, I'll come. Awesome. We'll start there. And we just that time over and over and over again until eventually we had this really fun, dysfunctional community of hundreds and hundreds of people that were all gathering every month. And, you know, you'd come and be like, this is insane. Look how awesome this is. I, I couldn't invite vets anymore because I used to invite vets because vets love to beat the drum. Nobody knows. Nobody cares about us out here. And then I'd bring them be like, oh, yeah, come to the collaborative. And they'd just be so overwhelmed. They mm-hmm. just had no idea that there were so many wonderful people in the world. And that it's an entire people who all have one problem. We don't know where any vets are. We're looking for vets. Anybody seen any vets? 
And so you get a vet who come in there and he, he's like famous. Oh, I have a program. Oh, you want to be doing my program? Oh, you want to? He's <laughs> like, oh, I didn't know all this stuff. And so I, that was a wonderful experience. And I just learned that the community, community is where you solve problems. It's the we, it's that part that really makes it. It's where you make sense of how to put the world back together. And then, so actually now we're in the process of revamping the LA Veterans Collaborative because like any work you do, you're never going to be able to do all the things for someone. That's just not how the world's set up. That's not how people are set up. Think about your own life. You have mentors and people who can help you like walk a little bit of the road and then go somewhere else, right? You go to a new college, you go to a new school, you go to a new, get a new mentor. You just, you walk the road a little bit with people. And so you have to have an understanding of like, your role in the bigger picture. And so it's one of the reasons why we're rethinking the LA Veterans Collaborative in light of our new, this new public-private partnership, the Veteran Peer Access Network, which I can talk about in a second if you want. Yes, absolutely. And in, in seeing how this has developed over time and definitely where it's going to be going in the future, but you're exactly right, a mentor of mine, and that's exactly you exactly hit on it because he was a mentor at a particular time in my development into the nonprofit space after the military. He said that no one organization is going to be able to do everything and we need an agency of agencies. And not to say that there is one large one ring, one one ring, ring to, to rule them all. But it's that idea, and especially now in the veteran support space, is an organization that tries to do everything housing, employment, therapy all of this stuff, they're going to be a mile wide and an inch deep rather than collaborating with organizations that are an inch wide and a mile deep in some very specific organizational work. That sounds like what you put together with the Los Angeles Veterans Collaborative. Yes. I really think that one of the challenges that, like when we did the survey, but part of what spawned and really breed life into the LA Veterans Collaborative in 2016 was that we had around the same time, what we found out was the community didn't really know what the challenges were facing veterans. And so we launched like the first ever community needs survey for veterans. We interviewed like 2000 vets across LA County in what we called the state of the American veteran in LA County. And that data was so cool. The community had asked for this information and then we gave it to them. So look, here's what we know. And they use it to write grants and to talk and to reshape their programs. I had tons and tons of meetings with people about what it means, like what this data means now. Hey, this means that we're going to have more women veterans. If you don't have a women veteran program, you need to have one in the next two years. Hey, you know what this says? That you got to find a way to get access to vets earlier because you're getting them too late in the process. Hey, most vets we talked to didn't know where or how to get help. And so that kind of like big picture, what we found was that not only did, to your point, that one service or one organization wasn't just enough and that you couldn't just have one person to rule them all, but that actually everybody had a really important role. And if they did that right, then it was like lily pads. Like you could help people transition through very difficult circumstances and you could do it as a community. And then it was like, what I found was that a lot of the success stories of veterans and military families in our community have 10 people to, to blame. <laughs> <laughs> it was so cool. It was like, thank you, Dwayne and Nate and Mary and, and you. And there was someone else who gave me that number. Oh, that was me. It was like exactly what you want. You had a people that sort of lifted you up. Like crowd surfing is what I used to say. There's a dangerous place. You just crowd surf the person across until they're right where. And then they're part of the crowd. And then they're like, I got the next one, which is what I found to be at the fire. But it was just, there's a lot of talk these days about what's wrong with the community and whatnot. I think... My experience is that all the amazing people are still here. 
It's not like we lost them. They're amazing. Maybe I'm biased, but all the goodness is in our communities. And really, it's just about asking them to, to come in to work together and to have some mechanism to bring them all together. And so that's really what we did at Collaborative. And I think that's what we're trying to do because you can't really... You can't really connect people to services if each person doesn't know your part. It's like on a basketball team. If no one knows how to pass, then you know, you're not going to score many baskets because they can just all the barriers will surround that. But if you can pass, then everyone has an opportunity and it's a you're a much more nimble team. No, and and I appreciate that idea of everyone having a skill and a specialty. The analogies abound in the military space, even down to the infantry squad. You have the radio guy, you have the heavy gunner, you have the platoon leader, all of these different roles. And independently, they won't win the fight, but collectively they can do so. But then you mentioned that being able to support these individuals and get them to a safe place and then have them turn around and support others. Because for veterans, that's really the whole mentorship and development piece is what we did in the military. And then that sounds like it leads to the Veteran Peer Access Network and what you're doing there, deploying trained volunteers and veteran and military family members to connect veterans to resources. I'm sure COVID has had an impact on that work, but why do you feel like that was necessary in a city as large as LA? And how was that going? Yeah, you have all these providers, you have all this community, but we all still struggle. And what we found over and over again was that we we're still struggling with the same problem. Vets don't know where or how to get help. And there's a lot of ambivalence about whether or not they can get help. I'm sure you're like me. I have a pile of paper that's sitting right here that I know I'm supposed to sign and figure out and do stuff that's for my own good, it's directly related to my own good. And I'm just not as likely to finish that right now because there's other things on behalf of other people that I'm going to do. And that's an ingrained skill. That's It's a self-sacrifice model. And that works. It's great. It's it, You provide a lot of meaning, but it's not really good long-term. And so what you really need is you have to have people in the community and really peers, or as you were saying, people who have a lot of experience who say, hey, let's make sure you're taken care of. Let's make sure you have what you need to be successful. And so one of the things that we did the collaborative in, it was like 2015, is that uh, a guy named Dr. John Sharon, who now is the director of LA County Department of Mental Health, launched a program called Battle Buddy Bridge. And it was designed to have veterans be peers and connect with vets who didn't know how to access a lot of the myriad of services. And, you know, we had this huge provider network and we still couldn't get to vets. And so once we had these peers, they could connect with vets and then help them navigate the service community. It was the same reason I didn't invite vets to the collaborative anymore because it was just too overwhelming. They had they left with 50 cards. I was like, I don't know if you ever went to those transition workshops when you get out back in the day and you just leave with a binder of resources, none of which you know when or how to use. And they would sit on your table as you moved for the first three times after you transitioned until eventually you just threw them away. Ah, I'll figure them out later. And then turns out some of those cards were like really useful. Would have been nice to know. So that's so what we found then was we had to build a network. And so when John Sharon got to the LA Department of Mental Health, he said, hey, look, he actually asked the Board of Supervisors in the fall of 2019, they approved a $13 million award to fund what would be the first veteran peer access network. And in order to roll that out, there would be uh, actual mental health and program managers at the Department of Mental Health. But as you and I both know, government doesn't do things quickly. And so they also said, look, let's have a public-private partnership with Southern California grant makers. And so we'll give $9 million of that to SCG, to RFP, to hire and uh, grant to community-based organizations across LA County to hire peers and LCSWs to build this network. 
as of July of 2020, in the middle of the pandemic, we granted millions of dollars. We did an RFP, all Zoom. We had veterans actually choose who were going to be their service providers. And then we had, and then we hired 40 peers across the county and maybe more to come. And so as of January 1st, we now have peers across the county who are actively engaging and reaching out to vets to help making sure that they get enrolled for whatever they need. And not just, and when I'm not talking about like homeless, I'm talking about like you and me. Hey man, I just, my wife and I, we got to, I don't know. Do you guys have any contacts for a counselor? Yeah, here, we have somebody. Are you in? Let me ask you a couple questions first. Cool. Let me see. I'll tell you the kind of the resources we have here in LA. It's, it's wonderful. And we have a service platform that's called Unite Us that will help connect and refer. So we have some accountability. So now we have what I say is now we have these like the action arm of the collaborative, right? So we have a way to engage and work with vets and then, and then the service provider structure to help support that. So this is like super exciting. This program will go on. We have basically till June, 2023 to prove this model and our funders community's all gotten behind it and it's funding which is really exciting. So it really is like a public-private partnership. And man, it's just, I don't know, I feel like I've been trying to trying to bring these things about for years and years. So it's really exciting to feel like, oh my gosh, we could actually build infrastructure in LA so that vets could get help when they need it. We wouldn't have to wait for crisis forever. And what amazes me, Nate, is that you're doing this on one of the largest scales in the country, because everything, all of the collaborative obstacles that you talked about are happening in my community of 650,000 people, right? right? They're they're happening in Kansas City and Charlotte and San Antonio and Billings, Montana, on the smallest scales, the medium scales, and then the largest scales, all of these issues, the same thing. I don't know where the veterans are. Here in my community, we have over 970 501c3s registered with the Secretary of State. I can't choose between that much. That's just too much for me to try to figure out. And that you've done it on such a large scale with so many organizations, with so many veterans, rather than going from the bottom up, I think from the top down and taking a lead on what you're doing. It sounds like a great initiative. And I think other communities can probably take a lead from how you're managing this. Yeah. I, one thing I One thing I never do is I never tell our community what to do. So I really think of it as like a bottom up. All we're all I'm doing is, is facilitating what I think you want. You want to work in a community with people who you know how to pass. There's an old idea in the collective impact literature. We got to become better passers. That's John Stockton, right? I, I grew up in the Michael Jordan era. Everybody I knew had a poster of him on their wall growing up. And around the same time, for like years, he was never the highest score in the NBA. It was always Carl Malone. They called him the mailman. And why was that? What happened was that Stockton was on Malone's team, right? Like, the, led the year every year in assists. And so you had the best passer in the league on your team. And so he always outscored everyone. And so it's the analogy proves true today that if we can become better passers, we just have better overall success with people. And if you understand what you can do and what you can't, and you know where to refer people when you don't know where to go, and you have some peers to help people navigate some of those challenges, we just win more. It's cool. Yeah, you're right. And, and I think it's the old cliche is it's amazing what can be accomplished if we all work together and we don't care who takes the credit. So if people want to find out more about the work that you're doing, Nate, maybe more about the Veteran Peer Access Network or the Los Angeles Veterans Collaborative, how can they find that out? Yeah, thank you. LAVPAN.org. It's where you can connect with us. One ask I would have for anyone maybe listening to this is if you know vets in Los Angeles, either like us in the social media world, we're easy to find, VPAN, like a good veteran organization, or 
We're, we have an acronym. So you can do that. And then if you know vets or people transitioning to Los Angeles, I am into us, man. Lone wolves survive for a few months by themselves. We really have to stick together. I think one of the hardest things about getting out of the military and what everyone tells me over and over, I hear it over and over. is like, man, you're out here all alone. And I say, that's by choice. You don't have to be alone. Yes, we they released you to the Kragans and you have to run out by yourself, but get tied in. We have the umbrella, like, come on, come on, come on. And so that's really what I think of as our peer network. We we really built and are building a really wonderful community. LA is a big, weird, strange place. 88 cities, thousands of square miles. It's the largest county. It's insane. I don't even know why we have county. As, it's like the numbers are astronomical. It's like 19 million people or something. But we have a community, a wonderful veteran and military community here. And and so if you, if anyone knows or anyone listening here knows vets or military families, please look us up. If you haven't hung out with us, we, we go live all the time, have fun, have fun at least social media wise until we can get back together. Well, that's great. Well, I appreciate you coming on the show today. Yeah. Thank you, Dwayne, for having me. Keep up the good work and I hope you guys get something rocking in Colorado too. Absolutely. Once again, we would like to thank this week's sponsor, PsychArmor. PsychArmor is the premier education and learning ecosystem specializing in military culture content. PsychArmor offers an online e-learning laboratory that's free to individual learners, as well as custom training options for organizations. One of the things that I would like to highlight is how military service members integrate unique and unexpected skills in beneficial ways. For those who may not have much contact with military service members, it may be easy to think of them as a homogenous group with widely applicable traits. When we say that Nathan is a chaplain, all sorts of things may come to mind. He even mentioned his preconceived notions in our conversation, in which chaplains are religious and old. But one of the things that veterans are is adaptable, and any individual veteran is a unique combination of a wide variety of skills. I have a colleague who's a combat Marine and also graduated with a degree in fine arts from the Art Institute of Chicago. Another friend is an Army veteran, a legislative advocate, and does stand-up comedy. The stories go on and on. If someone sees a veteran and jumps to automatic conclusions, they're missing someone who is adaptable and complex. This complexity and adaptability is an asset to any organization looking to tackle challenges, whether it's how to start a new program or how to navigate the complex veteran support organizations in a community the size of Los Angeles. Nate is a great example of see a need, fill a need, and if a veteran doesn't have the skills to fill the need they see, they'll figure out how to develop those skills. The second point that I would like to make is the challenges that Nathan mentioned in Los Angeles, which are common to many communities around the country. There are a significant amount of organizations that support veterans, and there are a large amount of veterans with needs. But somehow, there is a gap between those that have the resources and those that need the resources. Having worked in the veteran support nonprofit space for the past seven years, I've heard many of the things that Nathan mentioned. Organizations will say, where are all the veterans? I need to find them all so that I can give them what my organization does. And veterans will say, there's no support for us out there. Nobody cares. Some of this may have to do with how the military conditioned those of us who serve to not have to seek out support. When I was in the military, many of my needs were met for me. Housing, when I got to a new base, they gave me a key to a place to house my family. When we decided we didn't want to live on post anymore, they gave us more money to find a house off post. When I was in Iraq and Afghanistan, I didn't have to worry about where my food and water came from. That was provided for me. We weren't helpless. It's just the way the system was. It was an integrated collectivist organization where our needs were taken care of. 
When veterans leave the military, however, we need to learn how to meet those same needs in different ways. And that can be challenging for some. To go from, here's your key, to finding a place for yourself, or to go from showing up at a new duty station and being told what your job is to having to find a job on your own, these can be daunting for folks who haven't developed those skills because we didn't need them when we were in the military. From the service provider side, again, support services in the military setting were actively delivered, but many organizations in the community are based on passive resource offering, call us if you need us. That takes the veteran to have the awareness of one, that they have a need, two, that there's an organization that meets their need, and three, that they would be willing to acknowledge that they need help in the first place. Like any gaps, both sides stepping into the middle to reduce the no man's land between them is the best way to reduce it. Nathan is in the unique position of being a direct service provider, both as a mental health clinician and as a chaplain, and a community organizer collaborating at the strategic level. Nathan and others like him in communities across the country are stepping into the gap between the resource providers and the resource users. Hopefully my conversation with him sparks some thoughts on how you can do the same in your community. I'd like to share the PsychArmor resource for this week, the series of courses for communities serving veterans. This series of courses provides guidance on leadership and collaborative strategies for community impact. To address the needs of veterans and their families, Thousands of nonprofits, government agencies, and private organizations stand ready to offer services and support at the local and national levels. Sponsored by the National Veterans Intermediary, these PsychArmor courses provide a smart and useful framework for guiding social movement. The effective framework is inspired by collective impact theory and informed by the culture and values of the military and veteran community. These courses will teach you an overview of collective impact as well as leadership strategies for increasing collaboration and activating community support for veterans and their families. So thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode. Make sure to take a look at the show notes, which you can find at psycharmor.org forward slash BTM10, as well as on the PsychArmor website. You will find the link to everything we talked about in today's show, as well as hundreds of online training videos delivered by nationally recognized subject matter experts who are committed to educating the civilian community about military culture. All of these courses are free to individual learners. Thank you for joining me on this episode and for continuing to join us on this journey. You wouldn't be listening if you didn't care, and it's that curiosity and passion for supporting service members and their families that we want to encourage and increase. Come back each week for another conversation and make sure to engage with PsychArmor on social media to let us know what you think about the show. I'd like to express special thanks to Operation Encore and Navy Seahawk pilot Jerry Maniscalco for our theme song, Don't Kill the Messenger. This show was produced by Headspace and Timing, and all rights to the show remain reserved by PsychArmor. Feel free to share the show. In fact, we would like for you to do that, but make sure you let folks know where you heard it. Join us next time for another great episode, and until then, stay aware, get educated, and be well.